this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, if you're watching Cobra Kai, you're going to love this. Alicia Hannah Kim is joining us. She's the first female sensei in the history of Cobra Kai. Plus, Sue's got some funny, weird stories, including one where a woman is soon going to be both a mother and a grandmother. She'll explain. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at SteveMason.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani, call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinsky. Great guest today. It is Alicia Hannah Kim, who is from Cobra Kai, one of my favorite shows right now. We got that uh, coming up for you. In the meantime, Sue, you got some stuff. Well, while I was um, I was on Twitter last night, um, mm-hmm. I saw Sarah Silverman had uh, recommended this new movie called Confess Fletch. Okay. That I'd never heard of. Have you heard of it? I have. I have. Is it have something to do with the Chevy Chase Fletch from years ago? I don't think so. I think his 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 character. I think it's just a nickname. I think it's Fletcher is basically his okay, name. Got it. Um, but it's a murder comedy mystery with John Hamm and John Slattery. Oh, nice! What a cast! Right, and it. it I mean, the cast is great. But then I started to think. Because I love the two of them in Mad Men. Oh, yeah, they're great. And this is, I think this is the first time they've ever done anything together since then. Only thing I can think of, yeah. Okay. So I was thinking, who else that you've seen together would you like to see together? What actors in something else? Oh, let's see. I would like to see. Okay. I'm going to (laughs) go. You don't watch it. But I'm gonna go okay. Game of Thrones. Okay. Amelia Clark and Kit Harrington. Okay. Uh, who actually I'm trying to think, did they wind up together? I think we found out they were brother and sister. I'm not sure. But those two I'd like to see again. Amelia Clark, by the way, lives in in Venice. Uh i I know people who've seen her around the neighborhood. I have no idea mm-hmm. where Kit Harrington lives. I just know he's a a very short guy, like he would fit into your shirt pocket. <laughs> Little Little Jon Snow in your shirt pocket. He's a he's a compact man. Yes, he is. I'd love to see Julie Louis Dreyfus together with uh, Jerry Seinfeld again, or Michael Richards, or uh, Costanza. Uh, who am I thinking of? Costanza, George Costanza. George, oh, um, Jason Alexander. Jason Alexander. Yeah, I'd love to see those put together again. It's funny you mentioned Julia Louis-Dreyfus because I would like to see Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Tony Hale in something together. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Tony Hale. And I know that the show the, the show is still going, Succession, but I would love to see Matthew McFadden and Nicholas Braun in a buddy comedy. Oh, that's a good one. They basically are a buddy comedy, kind yes, of. Yes, yes, yes. This, this would be di- Tom and Cousin Greg. Cousin Greg. And one other 
pairing I thought could be fun would be uh, Ray Romano and Brad Garrett and something. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's a good one. So um, it's funny you mentioned Succession. I've been watching this show. In fact, I just watched the series, uh, the season finale uh, episode or season two of Industry. Have you watched any of Industry? I haven't seen it yet, but I'm, uh, but really you, you said it's really good. It's really good. You know what it is? It's like, have I told this story? It's like euphoria is one level. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, kids having sex. Then it's like industry um, where it's, uh, you know, on a, on a Wall Street trading floor. I'd say actually it's in London on a trading floor, investment banking, all that kind of stuff. Uh, a lot of sex and a lot of drugs. And then there's succession. So it's almost like industry fits between euphoria and succession. In mm-hmm. terms of timeline and lifestyle and all that stuff, but really recommend uh, industry. It's excellent. Wow, it sounds like it's got a little sprinkle of Wolf of Wall Street too. It does. It's got some of that to it, also. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Well, three things that I love. So, oh, what cool. Wall Street, wolves, and <laughs> <laughs> yes, wolves, wolves. <laughs> yeah, yes. Who yes. loves wolves? <laughs> Well, the wolf of Wall Street, you idiot. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just oh said gosh. three things. Wolf of Wall Street. Three things I love. A wolf, oh, oh, Wall okay. Street. Okay. You you got me. Yeah, All right. There you go. All, All right. right. So what's your uh, story? What do you, you got a good story here. I don't know if you read about this, but there's a 56-year-old mother in Utah okay. who is having her son's child, not, it wasn't like they had sex together. She got inseminated. Inseminated, right. With her son's sperm because his wife um, uh, couldn't have uh, any more children. They already have two sets of twins. And And now, and now she wants, yes, they want, if they want a fifth child, so the mother felt bad and said, okay, well, I'll carry the baby. And Ugh. I don't understand how this woman isn't, hadn't gone through menopause. She's 56 years old. Well, I mean, didn't Janet Jackson have a baby at like 53 or something like that? Oh, she did? Oh, yeah, okay. she did. Oh, yeah, she had one. She was, she was pretty. And, and a lot of women now, because of in vitro, are having babies older. Now, it's weird that it's her son's. Yeah, that's that's that's, that's the, the weird that's part. The weird, like, let's, uh, that's the weird part. That's yes. the weird part. So she ends up being grandma and mother. She's a grandmother. Mother. Oh, it's like a Chinatown situation. Yeah, exactly. She's my grandmother. She's my mother. She's my grandmother. She's my mother. It's so creepy. Yeah, that's super creepy. And just the fact that they already have so many children, maybe by Utah standards, it's like four is like having an only child, you know, but I mean, I think they're Mormon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a very weird, creepy story. It's weird and creepy. And I, you know, like this kid, like, and then what happens? I mean, you have the child, you're 56, you're the grandmother, but you're the mother. Do you breastfeed your grandchild? That's your kid? I mean, yeah, I like, mean it raises then, all you know, sorts then it of just questions. Gets, yes, it just it just doesn't end. It's just like it's like dominoes. Ugh. Anyway, <laughs> creepy. Ugh. Ugh. That's my quote. Ugh. Ugh. All right. So there's this club 
in uh, it's a nightclub in Sydney, Australia. Okay. Where they have banned staring. Staring? Yes. Unless the person doing the staring gets prior consent of the person they are staring at to continue staring. So their whole policy is if just say you're a woman and you're hanging out at the bar and some guy from across the room is looking at you. Mm-hmm. Is he looking at you? Is he leering at leering, you? Right. So if you are accused of staring, staring in an inappropriate manner, they have guys like they're, they're like, um, I guess they're like uh, nightclub police. Right. That will physically <laughs> remove you from the club. For staring. Because they want the club to be a safe space. Now, it's so, you know, it's funny because, you know, it's kind of like that, that, that situation where, um, you're somewhere and some, and you're just looking, you're just staring out and someone, you know, want to pick a fight with you and they're like, what are you looking at? Right. You know, exactly. Like, I wasn't even looking at you. But and isn't that how you, hook up in a bar is by a lot of stuff. I mean, I know in, in when I was single and I would go to the Abbey or one of the gay bars. Um, I, I know that, uh, staring is a huge part of actually connecting and ultimately hooking up. Right. Yes. Do you connect without staring. Um, no. I, I, well, unless it's a blind club, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> It starts with unless a you're not sighted. I mean, it's and it's like, I mean, if look, if you're, I mean, I can tell when somebody's being creepy. Yeah, sure. You know, um, you know, if someone, if some guy's looking at you, he's drooling like the wolf from the cartoons. You know, right there you, you are know? again with your wolves. You love wolves. <laughs> you know, and and you know, you, you know, the vision above the guy's head is like a knife and a fork, and you know. <laughs> If you're a meal, then yes, yes, I I understand that. But um, I mean, I think there are going to be a lot of guys that, you know, maybe were potential that are going to be removed, removed, and it's just going to be your loss, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I find that to be, you can't put guardrails on life. I think everybody's trying to put guardrails on life. like. A little staring in a bar is just part of going to a bar. You can't prevent that. You can't police that. It's, it is this idea of uh, this, this safe space idea, this guardrails idea, this I don't want to get my feelings hurt thing is just out of control. Well, yeah. Cause then, you know, I mean, you can take that everywhere. Like you could be like shopping in a store and someone's looking at you. Like, would you remove someone from looking at you in a store? I mean, it's like that just, that's like you said, it's, it's, it's just a part of life. Although it's, where's the people, fine line between staring and leering? Yes, that's true. I mean, if some, look, if somebody is kind of being stocky. Yes. That I understand, but just looking at somebody could be misconstrued. Right. And then it's, you know, then, then, then I just think it's, it's, it's just, um, overkill. It's, it's, yeah, it's overkill. So did you ever have a stalker? I did. Did you really? Yeah. And it was really, really scary. I'm sure it was. Yeah. 
I was doing a USO show. Um, I think it was the first US, USO show I ever did. And it was on a cruise ship. The, the military, the USO, I guess, had, had, uh, rented out a cruise ship in Bahrain. Okay. And this was, um, kind of, um, it was a vacation station for the military, uh, guys who were in Desert Storm. Yeah. So they had like a three day, like junket. Okay. Um, in between their tours. So like a break. It was a break. Yeah. So, um, there was a guy and he was actually cute. He was young and he was, um, kind of flirty with me. And it was very, very innocent mm-hmm. in the beginning. Right. And, um, I think he was just, you know, love the fact that he was hanging out with comedians and, uh, I was the only woman on the show and it was, I mean, there were women that were in the military on the ship, but it was mostly guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, you know, after the show, you know, a group of us, you know, were having drinks and then he got very possessive with me. Possessive? Possessive. Like, um, like, where are you going? Like, like, like he thought that he was like my boyfriend or something. Oh. And, um, I remember I got up at one point and he like kind of like grabbed my arm and I was like, Whoa, what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, this is not what's going on here. And, um, I had to have an MP outside my stateroom because he knew, uh, what room I was in. Oh God. Yeah. That's cr- And you were in a confined space. You were in a boat. I was on a ship. On a ship, yeah. Oh, that's creepy. I've had three stalkers. Yeah. I sort of pride myself on having three stalkers. You got to be somebody to have a stalker. Is, is, you know this, is this like a stalking pissing contest? <laughs> <laughs> so one was when we were in New York. Do you, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I started getting phone calls uh, on my regular phone uh, from somebody who would say things like, I saw you had dinner with your family last night at Carmine's. Oh, that my was, God. Oh, that's creep. Or, um, uh, I saw you go into the Richard Rogers theater last night. It's like, what? This guy's following me and he's knows where I am at all times. Did he ever come creep. to the station? Like, did he ever meet you outside the station? Or? Not that I know of, not that I know of, but I, but super creepy. And then the worst one of all was, you know, I lived to see a no hitter. I lived to see a no hitter in person. So have you ever seen one in person? I did see a no hitter, uh, at Dodger Stadium with, uh, who's it? Ra- Raul Martinez. I'm Ramon Martinez. Ra- yes. Okay. So here's what happened. So we had a promotions person that worked. Uh, I was working, uh, for the mighty 690 at this point. We had a promotions person just completely fixated on me and would not leave me alone and knew too much about me and all that stuff. And so we were taking a bunch of listeners to see that Dodger game that you were at. We were at that game together. Were we? Yes. No, you- I was not at that game. Oh, you weren't at the game? No, I oh, stayed oh. home because the stalker was there. Oh, okay. Okay. So okay. I didn't go to the game because okay. of the stalker. Oh, then okay. Ramon Martinez threw the no hitter. You just happened to be at that game. Was that the one no hitter you've ever been at? Yes. God. Always yeah. wanted to be at a no hitter. Yes. You know how because- stupid I am as a baseball fan, Sue? Uh, when, uh, somebody gets a hit in the third inning or the second inning, I'll go, there goes the no hitter. There goes the no hitter. <laughs> well, I thought you were there only because there was a period where we went to some games together when we first met one another. Yes. And I, re- and I remember this is when, um, Candy Audie was on the team and I was yeah. friends with he and his wife. 
and you asked me if I can get you tickets and somehow we managed to get you two tickets and, um, and you came to uh, one of the games with me. I, uh, yeah. So yeah. anyway. Not that one, unfortunately. Not that one. Because yeah. of the stalker. Because of the yeah. stalker. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's do this. Uh, no, put the stalking talk and the <laughs> grandmother's having the baby talk and <laughs> Sue's fixation on wolves. Let's set that aside. Uh, our guest today is enjoying her big breakout role right now in Cobra Kai. It's one of my favorite shows. All five seasons now streaming on Netflix. She plays the show's first female sensei. Alicia Hannah Kim joins us. Alicia, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. So you grew up in Australia, and I'm curious, when you were growing up, did you see the original Karate Kid movies? Like, were they popular in Australia? I've, I've spoken about this, and it's, it's actually very embarrassing. I did not see the Karate Kid movies um, when I was younger. And to be fair, neither did my brother, or I think it just passed by my household. But they are huge movies worldwide, so I don't really have an excuse. Well, I have never, I never saw them either. So I'm in, I'm in your camp. Okay. Thank you. It's you you and me against Steve here. Look, we're good people. There's some of us out there. I have since remedied that. I I have watched it and it's amazing. And it's actually really strange to have gone from, you know, walking into the Cobra Kai world and then working with Ralph and Billy and then seeing them now as their kids. So I had like the sort of reverse experience with them. And they're so amazing. It's so amazing to watch them as kids. I mean, as, as young men in the, in the movie. So you didn't watch the Karate Kid movies originally. Did you watch Cobra Kai originally or were you also a late adopter to <laughs> Cobra Kai? I, I can tell okay. by this action that you may have watched it a little bit. After. You may want to. You may want to take the fifth on this, huh? <laughs> so I yes, <laughs> it was pandemic. So I it sort of I, I I was watching a lot of K dramas during the pandemic. That's sort of my excuse, and so I was sort of really unaware of the the level of popularity. So even after I had booked it and I had filmed it and wrapped it, I was just sort of um, really coming into the world like Kim Darlin, sort of off you know, off a plane into Atlanta and then thrust into this uh, karate feud in the valley. And and I just experienced every day as it came. And then so after it wrapped, I was aware that, oh God, it really is a massive show with a mass. It's just an absolute, you know, behemoth around the world. And I, um, I was actually binging episodes when I was flying in and out of Atlanta. So I was experiencing it as a fan and then also getting to shoot uh, in the world. So that was cool. So, um, your martial arts experience, did you have any before doing this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had trained a bit in Muay Thai here in LA. Um, that's sort of very intense Thai kickboxing. It's a very brutal sport. Um, and you know, I have a bit of a background in dance. I've done a lot of yoga. I'm very athletic. So I was feeling optimistic going into the training and then very quickly was humbled by how difficult it is. Um, it felt, it feels a lot like ballet training. Uh, Selkie Hom, my stunt double and Mary's stunt double as well had us standing at the wall and doing these sort of high kick combinations. And it feels a little bit like, uh, ballet training. So it was, it was, it was painful, <laughs> but it was amazing to learn. I mean, they're an incredible stunt team led by Don Lee. So you grew up at a time when, and, and it's significant. You're the first, uh, female sensei on Cobra Kai, which is a gigantic deal. 
Uh, I'm curious about representation. I mean, we live at a time when here you are, that's a breakthrough, and there's still very little Asian representation in television and film. Do you think that's changing? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's changing. It's, it's light years from where it was when I first started here in LA. Um, you know, just as an example, this is the first time I've played a Korean character hmm. in my entire career. So that's already huge. Um, you know, when I first started out, I, I was told don't use Kim as your last name because it identifies you as Korean and therefore you won't be able to audition and be seen for roles that are Japanese or Chinese. And so that scarcity of roles really affects uh, BIPOC performers. And, you know, we, we're all trying and vying for those same roles and, and not having a lot of them is difficult. Um, and obviously now I use the Kim and, 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 you can tell that shift in the landscape in the work that I'm now doing and being exposed to even in auditions or, or other shows. So it's changing and you can see that at the level, like an executive level or writers or showrunners, there really is a lot more representation. So it's very hopeful. I think in the Cobra world as well, the guys have done a great job this season having Yuji and Una and mm-hmm. Joe and Nate and myself, we had a very joyful uh, Korean circle on set, which was me and Nate and Joe and Una and, you know, uh, Nate and Una's moms. And then at one point, Jolo came over and was like, um, can I sit with you guys? And I was like, well, I don't know. Are you Korean? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm reading, uh, uh, crying in H Mart right now. I was like, take a seat, my friend, take a seat. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, you know, it, it definitely feels like we're in this massive shift and I'm really, really grateful to have been able to play this role. You know, it, it's meaningful just on a female representation scale, but then to also be specifically Korean makes it so authentic and personal for me. So, you know, it's really, it's really wild. I, I'm always uh, amazed when somebody, um, was Australian or British and, and, and vice versa, you know, someone American is able to do an accent that is not their own. Um, <laughs> it, it really does, it really does amaze me. Um, it, is it, it, what the first time you ever had to not speak in your native, you know, accent? Was it a was it uh, a challenging thing to do? Um, I don't want to sound immodest, but it's not challenging to me specifically because you know, obviously, in Australia, we are consuming a lot of global media. We are mm. watching a lot of British television. I watched a lot of British comedy growing up, um, and so a British accent isn't that far away from an Australian accent. And then, in terms of an American accent, I grew up watching Friends, so it, you know, it's it's <laughs> for me, it's like stepping into the TV. Like you know, I would never expect uh, you know a young American person to be watching you know an Australian soap opera, but for us, the other way around, it, it's quite accessible. So you know, it, it, it's kind of like growing up in a trilingual household. You're always hearing these different accents, and especially from a young age, I, I think most Australians can rock out a pretty good British and, <laughs> and American accent. By the way, why is it always so much more impressive when somebody Australian does an American accent as opposed to the reverse? I guess you don't see the reverse very much. Um, but- I'm not sure there's a lot of opportunity for American accent, American actors to do Australian accents, but I will say 
obviously Meryl Streep, queen of the world and queen of the universe can, can do an incredible Australian accent, which no one's surprised by. But also Kate Winslet does a really, really good Australian accent as well. Um, cause British people, British and Australian people are quite interchangeable with the voices, I think, cause we're, we're always watching each other's, uh, television shows. You know, it, there are such, uh, there have been such really, really good movies, uh, with Asian representation in the last couple of years. I was going to mention Minari, uh, yes. which starred Steven Yoon, which was fantastic. Everything everywhere all at once, yes. uh, which is this year's movie. What? Uh, who were your heroes growing up? Like, who did you admire in the business? It's so funny that you say that um, because I recently, and I, I would say about two weeks ago, I met Michelle Yeoh oh. and I was telling her how much she meant to me growing up watching her in, in movies. And also I was telling her that Everything Everywhere All at Once was, I think, my first movie back in the cinema after pandemic. Yeah. And my God, like what a worthy trip to the, to the movies. But I would say, you know, Michelle Yeoh, you know, when you're Asian and, and, and you see like the one Asian person in a TV show like Lucy Liu and Ally McBeal, like you remember those people and you hold on to those people. For me, it was really like Lucy Liu, Michelle Yeoh, Sandra Oh, these women, and they have incredible careers and they're so talented. Um, and the range is just unbelievable. So for me, I mean, I was, I was holding on to those three women in my head, um, as, as heroes and, and guides for what maybe could be possible. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, Michelle Yeoh is a legend. <laughs> I really freaked out meeting her. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, I she bowed. Is. I, she's not Korean, but I bowed a really low Korean bow to her <laughs> out of respect. I was just so overcome. Um, I wanted, I wanted to go back to Cobra Kai for a minute because your character is, um, is, is a pretty evil character. Um, where, where did you go to get that, you know, as an actress? <laughs> um, yeah, she's very dark. We had a lot of jokes on set about how she definitely needed to go to therapy. She's very toxic personality, <laughs> has zero anger management skills and doesn't know anything about conflict resolution. Um, where did I go? It, you know, I think she's a very complicated character because, you know, her history and her family history is really complex. You know, the geopolitics of an occupied Korea a Korea at war and then a divided Korea. You know, Koreans have this word um, and concept called Han, which is sort of loosely translated as a generational, ancestral sorrow, resentment. It's very deeply rooted in, in our people's history at war. I think that Kim Dan carries that family pain and also, you know, has suffered a lot through her training. Um, which obviously she puts uh, Tori through as well this season. So I think there's deep pain there. There's deep ancestral family pain. I think rage is a is a love language for me. Mm. <laughs> I love yeah. characters that are are angry about something. You know, I I I I have to say I did watch a lot of Kylo Ren, a lot of Kate Blanchett, Hella in in Thor Ragnarok. Nice. <laughs> You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of references for Kim Dunn. Kylo Ren is, is a great, I love Kylo Ren. I just love how angry he is. You know, I think when you have a standard of excellence and it's extreme, everything is disappointing if it's not hitting that, that level of excellence for you. Kim Dunn uh, subscribes to that fully. 
And she falls in with Terry Silver, who is so evil. He's like, honestly, he's like a James Bond villain. Uh, he is so, he's so evil. Uh, and that backstory with the way of the fist is really, really interesting. I kind of want to go back to the fight sequences. Take me through how a fight sequence actually is choreographed and how it happens. And then are there ever any mistakes when you're doing a fight sequence? Absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely mistakes because it starts off with we we all sort of congregate into the stunt gym with the team and they have choreographed the fight and they are performing it for us and then we are learning it step by step. It's very much like a dance. You very much uh, have to also adjust to the difference between learning it with someone's stunt double and then learning it with the actor that you're working with. For me, you know, I trained a lot with Olivia J. Brown, who is Peyton's stunt double. Mm. And then as soon as I got onto set and, and was doing it with Peyton, you forget that Peyton's legs are longer than Olivia's, so they're going to hit you. So, so you have to adjust for that small sort of difference, you know. And so those little things about accuracy and nailing, uh, and hitting your marks are, are really important. But it really is like a dance. It's the best way to describe it because you are executing the moves in tandem with your scene partners or, you know, partner. Um, I love it. I is had a it lot shot of in real time and then sped up? Is that part of the secret yes. of it? Yeah, it's shot, it's shot in real time. They, they'll speed it up or, or slow it down um, based on the emotional beats of the fight. With the music, it's always more impressive. Um I, I did, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun. I, I did accidentally, my first day, my elbow made contact with Peyton's face and I was deeply, deeply horrified. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Peyton's such a cool girl and she was like, no, I'm totally fine. And, and, you know, this has happened before. I once hit Mary in the face. It's a rite of passage. And then it, immediately I looked at everyone and was like, I will cry if someone hits me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it, it's not because I'm super wimpy. Like I just won't be able to stop myself from crying. So if I do cry, don't be alarmed, which is very off brand for Kim Dutton. It really is. It really, <laughs> yeah, I don't oh, think, she, I don't think she cries. So no. if, if you in real life had to choose between mentally, spiritually, emotionally between Cobra Kai, Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. Or Miyagi Do, uh, Daniel Larusa and Johnny Lawrence. Which one are you more in line with yourself as a person? In life, absolutely Miyagi Do. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm a plant based yogi, peace loving gal. I Miyagi Do. Miyagi Do seems like the spa getaway that you want to take all your girlfriends to. There's a beautiful garden, a fountain, a balance ball, and everybody's very zen and chill and welcoming. Cobra Kai is is like a boot camp, and I, I think I would in real life I would cry if I was in Cobra Kai. Now is so, this? It, okay, go ahead, Steve. I was going to say, are you already working on season six? Not right now, no. Not yet, but not right now. Not right now. So. I want to ask you about, so Terry Silver's in jail. Uh, Martin Cove, uh, John Kreese is dead. Is this going to be, oh no, I'm sorry. He didn't die. He didn't, he didn't. die. Right. No. They kept him alive. Who's, yeah. whose dojo is this going to be? <laughs> I is think it the potentially going to be yours? Well, you know, in truth, Terry did give me half. So, 
now that True. Terry's gone, I think it's very much up in the air. I think, um, yeah, there's a lot to explore there in a season six and, uh, I'm not really sure how much I can say of what I know and what I do not know. So I shall be as vague as possible. When in doubt, no when in doubt, give nothing away. Exactly. <laughs> when in doubt, give nothing I know away. nothing. There you go. <laughs> so is this, so is this, um, are you going to continue? Um, I mean, in, in your, in your personal life, are are you kind of like an, a martial artist now? I mean, is this something that you're going to continue with? Yeah. You know, it's funny when I first booked the role, even though I was sort of confident with, with my physicality, I thought, well, I'd better lean into the Taekwondo. I didn't do Taekwondo as a kid. My brother did. and I remember watching him take the classes. So I went to a Taekwondo Tojang near my house and I went to the master and I was like, teach me everything you know in one hour. And Master Kwan was so nice. He, he walked me through all of the main steps and he, I think he taught me like, you know, 12 kicks by the end of the hour. So that was interesting. Um, and so I still go to that Tojang and I still learn from Master Kwan. I think it's a great way to stay in shape. And then just for me, I, I like to, um, you know, keep up that level of fitness because obviously when you're filming, you don't really have a lot of time to train because you don't have time to work out. You're, you're too busy. Um, you know, my call times were four, five in the morning. Oh, wow. Yeah. My braid, my braid, actually I was there the the earliest because my braid is very complicated to set. Mm. Um, and that's very time consuming. So, you know, I like to, in my off time, try to stay as fit as possible so that I'm ready when filming begins. I asked you that because recently Tom Hardy, the actor, won a tournament. You said, did you, I'm sure you read that, right? The jujitsu tournament. What a cool guy. I mean, what a flex. <laughs> I, well, I, I love the flex of I'm entering, but also I'm going to win all of the contests. <laughs> <laughs> How cool is that? What a cool dude. Yeah. I, you know, motivating. Um, but I don't think I, I'll be pulling the same sun. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have yeah. the same level of skill. So, uh, last thing for you here. Uh, you mentioned Cobra Kai is a worldwide phenomenon. Um, I would imagine, are, are you getting recognized? Um, has this opened doors for you? Tell, tell me about sort of that part of the experience. Yeah, it, it's really wild. A lot of people are like, how, what is it like? How, what's it like being on like the number one show in the world? And in truth, you know, in my, in my personal life, I don't think anything has really changed. I, I mean, obviously on social media, it gets a little more hectic. I don't think I can reply to everyone. I used to be able to reply to everyone. I can't reply to everyone anymore. Um, but I do see everyone's messages. So thank you. Um, but I think my, my first experience meeting all the fans was at the premiere and I have never experienced anything like that. You know, I'm a regular person and I walk in and then suddenly the, the, all the fans that are lined up are like, oh i've never experienced this so that was really cool and then a lot of them are kids which is so heartwarming i had a a lot of kids crowding around me and and uh that was really sweet um but it's still it's still disorienting to me i I was leaving a netflix uh, emmy event the other night and someone a bunch of people yelled at me across the street alicia and i yelled back are you talking to me? <laughs> so it's still not, it's still not, uh, sunk in. Um, but it's super nice. Cobra fans are the, the coolest people and the fandom is very welcoming and sweet. And I love how enthusiastic they are. I mean, if it wasn't for them, I mean, where would we be? Where would our show be? So 
the fact that we hit number one in 77 countries is, wow. Uh, wow. I can't really process it. It's, it's great. I'm glad that everyone enjoys it. And it's really testament to what Ralph and Billy and, the, and John and Josh and Hayden have created. Um, I mean, it's a real achievement to take a, a movie franchise from, I would say, 30 odd years ago to a number one show is, that's, that's incredible. And it's, it's and, amazing. And, it's amazing. And cast yes, all, these, I mean, all the actors from back then. Oh my God. And Steve everybody and I, is Steve and, so yeah, lovely. I know. And Steve and I were talking the other day about how amazing it is that these actors, after all these years, are still great actors. <laughs> yes. And do you know, Thomas, what I want, you know, Thomas played this character ages ago and he, he's still able, I mean, he's an incredibly fit gentleman and, and he'll rock out with a spinning hook kick, no problems. So, and Yuji as well. I mean, they're all, it sounds so cliche and I've said it so many times, but I really hope people believe me. They are the nicest cast that everybody is so low key and warm and cool and fun. You know, yeah, they all deserve it. I, you know, I believe you because it's such a good-hearted yeah. show. At the at the end yeah. of the day, it's got such a good, good heart, and I think that's yeah. that's one way to know that everybody is getting along on the same page. There's great chemistry, all that stuff. Um, let it's me really tell you, rare. It, it's yeah, really rare. It's really rare. Yeah, the show is fantastic. It is Cobra Kai. Season five is streaming. All five seasons are uh, streaming now on Netflix. Alicia, congratulations. Thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Sue. Thank you for having me, Steve. And there you have it. There is Alicia, Hannah, Kim, a fantastic show. Sue, you're kind of a late adopter to Cobra Kai, or are you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I did you say I was a late what? Adopter. Adopter. Uh, yes, yes. Like I said, I never watched Karate Kid. <laughs> would you go back and watch the movies now? Yeah, I would. I would. Because yeah. you get to see all the actors from this show back right. when they were young. Well, well, I get to I get to see them a little bit in the series because they do flashbacks. Yes. Um, but yes, I would go back and watch it. That's probably a good thing to do now that I've seen the, the last season. And by the way, um, I'm so stupid. I totally forgot. And th- this is... I didn't promise this would be a spoiler-free show, but I forgot John Kreese escaped from prison. I totally forgot that. I blanked for a second, but yeah, he's out there. So maybe it's him versus uh, Kim Da for the dojo in season six, uh, something like that. But I, it's, it's such a fun show. If you haven't watched it, all five seasons, it is really easy. It is you fly right through it. It's little 30 minute episodes, great bites and really, really fun uh, for the nostalgia and for the, 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 I, I, I would. The action, huh? The action, right? I would say two rumbles per show. Uh, thanks to Alicia for that. Hey, don't forget now we've got uh, our culture pop podcast community on Twitter and you can join the community go to uh twitter.com and search communities and search culture pop podcast and me and sue are in there talking about movies and tv and all the stuff we talk about house of the dragon although sue's not really participating in house of the dragon at all which is disappointing but i guess i understand oh I my god I are you shaming me on this well i mean you know it's kind of like you know how i'm i am with the zeitgeist i'm always like what's the zeitgeist what's the well zeitgeist? why don't you start watching bad sisters because i don't get any zeitgeist vibe from bad sisters oh god everybody's not buzzing about bad sisters 
Everybody's buzzing what, about what, were people buzzing about Afterlife? No, but it's a great show. But we didn't we didn't do a show on it. I'm just saying. I mean, you don't you don't get excited about some of the things that I get excited no, about. No, and I'm going to try. I started Bad Sisters. Oh, you did. I think it's I think it's okay. I don't I don't love it like crazy like you, but I don't, it's definitely I don't, watchable. I, it's it's fun. Yeah, I just think it's fun. And that that you know the the that JP character is just it's just priceless. Yeah, and Sharon Horgan's great and all that yeah. stuff. So, yeah, Bad Sisters, there's a recommendation for uh, for that show. Um, all right. Hey, don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at SteveMason.com. Please don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. Sue, thank you very much, and thanks, everybody, for listening to the Culture Pop Podcast.